I'm Lizanne Flynn. I'm a master healer who works with all earthlings to reunite them within themselves and with each other, regardless of the dimension they're currently in, meaning I'm a medium as well as an animal communicator, medical intuitive, and channel for all beings. I use the tools of shamanic journeying and soul retrieval to support animals and humans as they heal from past trauma. I'm certified as a Reiki master teacher and as a canine massage therapist. This is the Animals I View podcast. These days with everything that is going on out there on the planet, for all beings in all kinds of experiences, I find that watching do-it-yourself shows are incredibly relaxing. I'm not sure what it is about them. I love watching the transformation. I love the fun kind of tools that are being used and I get kind of fun ideas up in my head of, oh, I would love to live there. And this is how I imagine it would be for myself. And it actually started with my sons who loved watching Tim the Toolman Taylor. And as I said, I find the fixing of living spaces, regardless of what's being done, really soothing to me. I do have my favorites. If you all haven't checked them out before, the main cabin masters is one. I just, I think it's the rustic appeal of most of these cabins and finding the kind of, you know, wood rot and carpenter ants and mold and water damage and all those sorts of things and to watch it being cleaned out. I understand that this is a metaphor for shadow. (laughs) Maybe that's why it appeals to me so much. I like building off the grid is another. Building Alaska is also something that I tune into every once in a while, but it actually causes me some stress (laughs) because they're also battling the weather at the same time and access to the site, which I understand is all part of it. it. That just, that kind of tips the balance for me that it would probably be a little bit more than what I would like to undertake. Again, I think it's just soothing. It's fixing and likely because it gives me a sense, albeit false, of knowing that there's someone out there able to control their environment. As I started out saying, especially in these times of seeming, keyword, significant insecurity. And even in my life with the MS that my body has currently in place, My physical ability waxes and wanes from day to day, just like everybody, I'm sure. And I like knowing that there are tools that I can use to make my daily life easier and that I can choose to adapt my environment to what I need. And you all know I've talked before about using my rolly eye emoji feeling of humans, quote unquote, discovering things on the planet that actually existed long before, like 
corvids, crows, ravens, etc. using stones to accomplish things or primates, chimpanzees and orangutans using sticks to reach food sources for themselves. Animals have always interacted with their environments in organic ways to extend their intentions into their environments to either get food or to modify their current moment of experience into something better. What they don't do is subjugate the environment as beings in human experience tend to do. They use what's available to them without causing harm to the environment in which they live. You could certainly say, but Lizanne, we have different needs than than they do, etc., and they don't have the same needs for shelter, etc. I'm willing to give you that. The point is, we've adopted belief systems that animals aren't capable of using tools without us teaching them in our very human-centric way, and that they lack the awareness to know that they are separate from their surroundings. You know, the whole cave person thing of, oh, I need to break this bigger rock into something smaller. What do I have to use? Oh, I can use this object, this smaller rock that is separate from me, and I can extend my intention through the use of the energetic action of that rock smashing against the bigger rock. All of that, as far as animals are concerned, could not be further from the truth, as evidenced by the Cambridge Declaration of Consciousness, which I know I've put into the podcast notes but uh, before, and I'll put them in again. And there's another link that I'll put in there that actually, a little bit on the old side, back from 2009, but it was basically a listing, and I'll just read through some of them for you, about how animals use tools and organic tools in their environment in organic ways to make their environment better, to either get themselves food, to warn off other members in their family group of other predators that are coming. We're not the only ones who are using the abundance that the planet has in ways that we perceive benefit us. But I would say that we are probably the only species on the planet that are doing it in such a way that actually subjugates the planet and her abundance to what we perceive we need. And we have to, to a certain extent, kind of beat it into submission, almost, this abundance, because we, I don't know, that we don't think it's good enough for us or that we have to kind of constantly strive for something better. To start off with, chimpanzees are humanity's closest living relatives, and they apparently learned how to make and use tools long ago without human help, with stone hammers found at a chimp settlement in the Ivory Coast dating back almost 4,000 years. They're even capable of making spears to hunt other primates for meat and are known to have developed specialized toolkits for foraging army ants. Crows, as I mentioned earlier, increasingly find that crows and their relatives have exceptional 
abilities to interact with their environment, as well as form relationships, not only within their own species, but also with members of different species, such as humans. And I would, I would like to point out just something <laughs> ever so briefly that the Cambridge Declaration of Consciousness references as well. I would have changed that into the Cambridge Declaration of Awareness, but we're not going to pick nits at this point. The size and what is in the organ that we call the brain really isn't relative to the ability of that sentient being to use the components of that particular organ and intellect in a way that clearly demonstrates size actually does not matter. Because we often use the term bird brain, just thinking, oh, you know, you're such a bird brain. The implication being that you're a bird brain, you have a very small brain, you're not very smart, etc. And as a matter of fact, chickens, if you've ever worked with chickens and worked with any kind of species that happens to have feathers, I can tell you from an animal communication standpoint, I really have to be on top of my game because they will know in a nanosecond, half of a nanosecond, if my attention wavers at all. And then they will do something to kind of snap me back into the moment. And sometimes, unfortunately, we have to start all over at the beginning with building up that energetic common thread is probably the best way I can use to describe that. But getting back to Corvids. They are adept at crafting twigs, leaves, and even their own feathers into tools. There was a fabulous program on PBS. You may or may not be able to find it where all sorts of interactions with corvids, crows, ravens, and the like were done. And that crows have learned to drop stones in pitchers to raise the height of the water inside and to use tools in such a way and in ways that it's not just, I'm going to stick this stone in here. And there were a number of different steps that that being an animal experience known as Corvid had to do in order to get to the prize that they wanted. And they, they did them beautifully and quite quickly. Orangutans in the wild have developed and passed along a way to make improvised whistles from bundles of leaves, which they use to help ward off predators. And again, that's something that we kind of think that only beings in human experience are capable of doing, but that's not something that's unique to us humans. And we also kind of tend to poo-poo animals having the ability to build a, for lack of a better word, a cultural book, if you will, of knowledge and or wisdom that's passed down from generation to generation. I've spoken before about the communication that I did with Orca once, and she showed me quite clearly that between her and the calf that was in utero at the time, there was this really beautiful kind of iridescent connection between 
her brain, if you will, and the brain of the calf that was still in utero. And it was clear that she was letting me feel that there was eons of information that was being kind of downloaded into that calf's brain. So that the moment that that calf exited the body of Mother Orca, that calf had all of the information that it needed from past generations about how to best be Orca on the planet, which is really remarkable, I think. Elephants, obviously, we talk a lot and study, unfortunately, rather than communicate directly with elephants, whose brains are larger than those of any other land animal. You, I'm sure you've heard the stories about the elephants deliberately dropping logs or rocks on electric fences that sometimes farmers put up around their crops in order to protect them. And I think you might have heard, and if not, I would invite you to look up on the interwebs, what farmers have done to cooperate with elephants is that they have chosen to put honeybees and beehives at certain places around their crop perimeters. Because, of course, you might imagine a bee coming up the trunk of an elephant, and that would be quite painful indeed. And so there's ways to live with other species on the planet that benefit all species involved and without causing harm to any species directly. Asian elephants, as a matter of fact, are even known to uh, systematically modify branches to swat at flies and breaking them down to ideal lengths for attacking the insects. Dolphins, of course, we've all known and heard stories and understand how incredibly intelligent and incredibly sentient that they are. A group of bottlenose dolphins in Australia was seen carrying marine sponges in their beaks to stir the ocean bottom sand and uncover prey. And they spend more time hunting with tools than any other animal besides humans. Sea otters, the largest members of the weasel family, use stones to hammer abalone shells off the rocks and crack the hard shells of prey open, making them the only known tool-using marine mammal for decades, of course, until alphans came along. Gorillas aren't just incredibly strong, roughly 10 times stronger than a full-grown man, but they possess brains as well. Gorillas in the wild are known to use branches as walking sticks to test the depth of water and trunks from shrubs as makeshift bridges to cross deep patches of swamps. Octopus uses coconut shells. I'm sure you've seen those videos. The veined octopus can apparently stack coconut shell halves that some people might pile bowls, sits atop them, makes its eight arms rigid like stilts, and then ambles the entire thing across the seafloor, using them for shelter later when needed. Octopus, incredibly intelligent and incredibly sentient as well. Macaques living near a Buddhist shrine in Thailand are known to pull out hair from visitors to use as floss to clean their mouths. And the females of the macaque group even slow down and exaggerate their motions, 
when they notice their young watching. So there's teaching evidence, not just humans do that, but other members of other species are deeply invested in making sure that the young of their species have what they need in order to make sure that their physical vehicles on the planet last for as long as they're supposed to. And I think the question still remains, and most definitely how animals see it, and from their point of view. Why aren't beings in human experience using what we have available to us? From their perspective, it's primarily the sun in such a way that we don't harm the environment and the surrounding ecosystems. What else can we be learning about how to live out our experiences on the planet by talking with animals directly and using their wisdom to support our own paths and therefore theirs as well? How much more damage will be done to this planet by our use of tools that damage as well as our intention to live only for ourselves locked away in human-centric land? As you may have heard me say before, intention is everything. It is literally everything. That's why these tools that they use are extensions of their choice and their view of the planet to live in a cooperative way, our tools on the opposite end of the scale are used only for our use, kind of regardless of what happens to the environment around us. Hope, at least according to Emily Dickinson, is ever-present. And at least, this is how the animals see it. Thanks for listening today. I offer all new clients a free 15-minute consultation. Reach out if you think I can be of service via www.lazanflynn.com. Come and find me on social media, Facebook, Twitterverse, Instagram, and LinkedIn. This has been the Animal's Eye View podcast. I'll see you next time.